Good morning, Central. Um, the top half of your, of your faces all look lovely. Um, the bad news is it's me. The good news is I usually speak for about 10 minutes, so <laughs> it's okay. Um, we've been journeying through this series on the kingdom of God um, and what Jesus says the kingdom of God is through parables. Um, and these parables are so rich um, from what we've seen over the past couple of weeks is there's so many different angles that can be taken when we look at them. No two sermons could be the same. Um, Jesus is the greatest teacher and the parables he uses are so rich. Um, and this parable is no different, um, but it's Matthew 18 um, from verse 21 onwards. Um, and most Bibles will have titles for this. Mine says the parable of the unmerciful servant and yours may say the parable of the unforgiving servant. So while this parable is as rich as the others, uh, it kind of does what it says in the tin. It's about unforgiveness. There's no dodging that. Um, and I know for a lot of people that that will be quite uncomfortable. Um, when we talk about forgiveness in the church, people become like that gif of Homer Simpson disappearing into the bush. <laughs> I didn't need to put it on the screen. We all know which one it is. Um, but just because of that, um, because you may think, yeah, okay, I know it, I get it, whatever, forgiveness or the word forgiveness may just do something inside you um, because forgiveness is not this abstract concept. It usually has a face attached to it or a group of people or an organization or a church or it brings up a feeling deep inside you. Um, so because of that, I just wanted to pray for us before we started. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. We just pray your peace over our hearts. God, we know that you see all things. There is nothing unseen by you. You know us deeply, deeper than we could ever imagine. There is no circumstance you can't work in. There is nothing that you can't forgive. So with this in mind, we just pass over any illusion of control. We just ask that we don't um, hold anything away from you, that you would just be so welcome to minister to our hurt and to our circumstance. And we just pray that by your spirit and through your word, you would teach us what your forgiveness is like and what it's like to forgive. Amen. So Matthew 18, verse 21 onwards. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought before him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his feet before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. 
His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went back and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay it back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Amen. Okay, so I wanted to keep things relevant. I wanted to appear really cool and fun and up-to-date, so I thought I'll start off um, with an example of a film about forgiveness, or forgiveness in popular culture. I'll start off with an example that we're all familiar with, a film that we've all seen, and I couldn't think of any. If you can think of some, please keep them to yourself, because it will destroy the (laughs) illustrative point I want to make. (laughs) But I couldn't think of any, and I thought that was really strange, because... Forgiveness isn't something that's alien in our culture. It's something that people know. It's not like a Christian word, like sanctification. It's something that everybody's aware of, something that everybody, whether they follow Jesus or not, will have to do. But yet this doesn't translate in the popular culture or entertainment that we consume. There's maybe some examples out there, but no real film or movie or television program is about forgiveness. And to me, that suggests one of two things. Either we don't do it very well, or it's not something we value that highly. Now, the one example I could think of is don't tell the bride. Now, stick with me. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may have not. But for those that haven't, the show's format consists of a couple who are given £12,000, it's £14,000 on the BBC One E4 version, to spend on their wedding. However, they must spend three weeks apart with no contact and the groom must organise every aspect of the event, the attire, including the wedding dress, wedding cake, as well as the hen and stag parties, surprising the bride. Every time I watch this programme, I say, please let this be set up for the good of all involved. It'll kind of follow a similar format In every episode, you'll meet Jane, who's an incredibly sensible bride who dreams of a fairy tale wedding in the local country estate. And then the program will follow her fiance, Colin, who spends half of the money on a stag do in Magaluf, sends her paintballing for her hand party, and then has like a UFO themed wedding in the local football ground. Every uh, episode kind of follows the same pattern. Anything the bride doesn't want is like the main theme of the wedding. The bride is afraid of heights. They will say their vows while skydiving. (laughs) The bride is afraid of clowns. It will be a circus-themed wedding. (laughs) The bride has a dog allergy. The wedding will literally be at Crofts. It's everything the bride doesn't want. There's always a scene of the bridesmaids standing in like potato sacks, crying, ringing the groom on loudspeaker. I'm like, we just can't do it. You're going to have to do something about it this is disgraceful but the end of every episode end of most episodes all is forgiven 
Everything just washes over the bride and groom. They enjoy the day as the bridesmaids stand on, <laughs> infuriated, wearing their potato sacks. The bride forgives the groom. But if this is the best version of forgiveness that our culture can offer, I think I want something a bit more. I'm not sure about you. And if we know anything about Jesus, forgiveness is a key part of his life and ministry. He teaches about it. Some of his final words on the cross are, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And of course, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If we are following Jesus, it's presumed that forgiving is part of what we're already doing. And Jesus' parable shows us that forgiveness in the kingdom of God is something completely different. But what does it look like? I've said that these parables are rich and there's so many things that can be said. So this morning, I'm just going to focus on four points. Now, there is a risk I may be exiled from the Presbyterian Church for deviating from the usual three-point structure, but it's a risk I'm willing to take. So there's two points (laughs) that outline what forgiveness is not and two points outlining what forgiveness is. And the first is forgiveness is not passivity. What's meant by this? Well, passivity is acceptance of what happens without active response or resistance. Essentially, forgiveness is not doing nothing. And I don't want to dwell too much on this point today, but I think it's something that we establish before we go any further, before we look any more at what forgiveness is in the kingdom of God. And I partly think this misunderstanding is why forgiveness isn't part of our entertainment or popular culture, because it's seen as really weak, Tekken would have been a completely different film if Liam Neeson had have been like, I have a particular set of skills that are ignoring everything that's going wrong around me and pretending that nothing happened because I'm a Christian. People see it as something that's really weak and it's not. And if we use this parable as a model for forgiveness, we know that it's not the case because the debt is not ignored. In this example of overwhelming forgiveness, someone not only acknowledges the debt that they are owed, but they take it on themselves and set the person free. That is not passivity or weakness. That's quite the opposite. That is full acknowledgement and strength. But forgiveness is also not passivity because it's not being a doormat. Sometimes forgiveness seems impossible because we don't take it for what it really is. We think that God asks for forgiveness and then all these other things add it on. I like to call it five-giveness because it's like four-giveness, but then there's something added to it. You can have that one for free, you're welcome. (laughs) But we think that we need to forgive somebody and then be their best friend. We have to condone or excuse their behaviour and that your relationship and interactions often the fruit of forgiveness and usually the next step. When two people or more forgive each other, humble themselves and want to partner with God in mending relationships that have been broken, God delights in it. And I genuinely feel for somebody here today that you need to be reminded that God is in the business of renewing and restoring all, all things. And even when they seem beyond repair. I don't know if it is a relationship with a family member or a friend, but you may think that it's too broken already. But Jesus says that reconciliation is possible. 
However, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. And you can't control another person's response to your forgiveness. You can't make them forgive you, but you are called to forgive them in your heart. And forgiveness is not tolerating or allowing further abuse or hurt. Is this my millennial liberal reading of this passage? I don't think so, because I think there's a biblical principle for this. Firstly, the parables that we have looked at over the past few weeks, and this one is part of Jesus's vision for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the reign of God in our lives. God's rule in our lives does not look like cycles of oppression or manipulation or toxic relationships, and it's not people that are repeatedly hurting us. And secondly, look at the scripture that comes directly before this parable. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. It's Jesus's instruction on dealing with sin in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We are called to forgive others. That's an imperative. But Jesus' model for how, sin is, how sinning against others is treated in the church does not ignore it addresses it. It calls it out, but it doesn't call anybody to be a doormat. This model is one that creates safe boundaries of increasing distance. So let's remember that before we go on. Secondly, forgiveness is not in our nature. What do we mean by this? Well, it's not part of the default position of our hearts. It's not our natural response. It's not our go-to But there's no doubt forgiveness is good for us. We know that. Deep down, we're aware that it's the best option, not only for us, but for the other person. If you've ever done the Alpha course, there's a week on forgiveness. And kind of one of the key phrases from it is that forgiveness or holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Or there's the other famous phrase that um, forgiveness is like setting a person free and then remembering that person was you. There's lots of phrases about forgiveness that point to the fact it's good for us. In fact, there's been lots of studies that show that forgiveness is literally good for your health. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. But we can acknowledge all those things, but it doesn't mean it's still our natural response. And I think Jesus is aware of this. And I think this is something he's pointing to when he responds to Peter. Look again at Peter's question. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will say, or 70 times seven. A bit of context, okay? So, In Jesus' day, um, rabbis recommended that forgiveness for a repeated offence extend no more than three times. 
So it's possible that Peter had observed how generous Jesus was with all his interactions with people and wanted to emulate that. But we also have to remember that this whole discourse starts with the disciples asking Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So it's possible Peter was like, right, I'll take the maximum amount, multiply it by two, add one on. Seven's also the number for perfection. Jesus will think I'm a legend. But no, (laughs) Jesus responds with not seven times, but 77. Um, Jesus' response 77 or 70 times 7, 490. You're welcome, Carl Vorderman here. Um, It's not a specific number. So don't be thinking like if Barbara in the office steals the 490th tea bag off you, you're freed of any obligation to forgive her. No, it's just hyperbole. Jesus is saying, whatever your culture calls mercy, whatever the world calls calls forgiveness, whatever the world calls generosity, multiply it. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. But it's also interesting that this parallel seven and seven times seven or seven and 77 only appears one other place in the Bible. You've probably heard this before, so bear with me. But in Genesis 4, you'll remember at this point, it's after the fall. Adam and Eve have been cast out of the garden um, and they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Abel keeps the flocks while Cain works the ground and they both bring offerings to God. And Abel's offer is accepted and Cain's isn't. And Cain is furious and God says that he can be accepted if he does what is right. But Cain is so driven by revenge, he's so driven by anger that he murders his brother. And he goes east of the garden to the land of Nod and after that he builds a city. And in Genesis 4 we get an outline of the line of Cain. And it names a few of his descendants and then we get to this man called Lamech. And he recites a poem. He's no Seamus Heaney, but I'll um, read it here. Um, His poem is after killing a man who just injured him. He is so filled with rage. He has two wives and he says, it says, Lamech says this to his wives. Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77 times. I was trying to find some commentaries on this and I came across this weird magnet on Amazon. Like, I'm no Alan Sugar, but I can't imagine this is selling well. Like, where is the market for this? I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, there's something here. Maybe this is kind of the stuff, nobody buy this please, but maybe this is the kind of stuff that we should have in our homes because people love hanging things on their wall and saying, this is just so me, I just have it here because it's just so me. Things like live, laugh, love. Things like, it's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. If you have those things in your house, I'm really sorry. But also there is prayer ministry available after the service, please. Please take it. Um, But yeah, when you're cut off in traffic or when a maskless individual leans over you in the frozen food aisle in Tesco, 
Your go-to is not live, laugh, love. Your go-to is Cain has been avenged seven times. I will be avenged 70 times seven. It's who we are. So we shouldn't be surprised when this isn't our natural instinct. But Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is breaking the cycle. It's only possible when it's with him. And it's only possible when we are intentional and it starts in our hearts. And it's a continual and radical act of reposturing our hearts. If revenge breeds more revenge and forgiveness is the antithesis of this, then forgiveness breeds more forgiveness. And this is through the breaking in of God's kingdom. God is literally changing the story for humanity. And that's our next point. Forgiveness is changing the story. Has anyone heard of Brené Brown? Thank you. (laughs) So over the past couple of years, uh, Brené Brown has gained a lot of popularity online. Uh, She uh, has a famous TED talk. She has a podcast. She is a researcher and a speaker. She researches courage and vulnerability, shame and empathy. Surprisingly, she's quite a wide range of followers online. She's like at the center of this Venn diagram of people that are like into meditation, mums on Facebook, (laughs) Christians, uh, people that are into mindfulness and like your aunt Sandra, like everybody kind of loves Brené Brown. She covers quite a spectrum of people. And I think she's probably gained this wide uh, popularity because she taps into some things that are so true about human nature. And she says um, that uh, we tell ourselves stories when we're hurt. And she says we make sense of hurt by coming up with these stories. And when you fall, you tell yourself a story. But these stories need to be tested. She says this. The most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. We must reclaim the truth about our lovability, divinity, and creativity. Now, I'm not saying this isn't true. There's a lot of wisdom here. But what if the most dangerous stories that we tell ourselves are also narratives that diminish the inherent worthiness of others? Human relationships are really complex, but we like to simplify them because it gives us this illusion of control. When there's conflict, or we're hurt, or there's pain, it's so easy to paint the other person completely as a villain and to make a complex situation black and white just so we can feel like we have control of it and it dehumanizes the other person. But a really helpful and practical tool towards forgiveness is asking God to tell his story about the situation, asking him to show him your perspective to let him see how, let, to let you see how he sees the other person. And let me tell you, an insight into the value and worth of another person does not diminish your own value or worth because God's love is so big. In John 13, Jesus asks this of his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples 
if you love one another. We're called to love just as he loved and forgive just as he has forgiven. And we can do this by asking him to let us see how he sees. And forgiveness is letting him change the story um, we tell about other people. But it's also letting us, also letting him change the story um, for ourselves. I have never known what it's like to owe a debt. I understand that that's a very privileged position to have, um, but this was up until a month or so ago. I was moving house and I wanted to be a good citizen. I believed I was in a new epoch of adulthood and I needed to sort out all my bills. Um, So I contacted uh, my energy provider before I moved out of the house. I won't name the energy provider, but it begins with P and rhymes with Power NI. (laughs) And we had paid a bill recently, so we only really had about a month's worth of electricity to pay for. So I took a picture of the meter, which in fairness was so old, it was probably installed installed by like Thomas Edison himself. It was an artifact. (laughs) So I sent them the picture and I said, look, I just want to pay my bill up to date. And they said, that's fine. But then there was a strange email uh, exchanged back and forth. And then I got an email saying, can we ring you? I said, yes, you can. So I got a phone call. <laughs> and I, they said, is this Lucy? I said, yes, it is. They said, you owe some money? I said, yes, I know I do. I contacted you about it. And they said, no, actually, your account is in arrears. I said, okay. And they said, um, so for the past 18 months, we have been going off estimates and we have underread your meter. I said, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and they said, you owe us quite a large sum of money. And I said, okay. Now, I will be crass to reveal the amount of money that was owed, but it begins with T and rhymes with 2,100 pounds. <laughs> and at that point, um, as part of being an adult, Um, I just cried (laughs) because I couldn't cope Um, and I said is this right and they said yeah yeah it's right you sent us a picture of the meter this is what you owe and I was like are you sure and they were like yeah 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 this is what you owe and I said I can't I can't afford that I can't pay it I was panicked and they said no no we have different repayment plans (laughs) don't let it ruin your weekend so I came off the phone (laughs) nestled into a relaxing weekend with my two good friends worry and despair playing Kelly Clarkson's Jesus Take the Wheel in the background. (laughs) And a couple of hours later, I got a phone call. Hello, it's Power and I. I thought, I'm going to jail. I'm literally going to jail. And they said, this is Lucy. I said, yes, it is. And they said, we have some good news, lol. (laughs) We misread the meter and you actually owe (laughs) (laughs) £34.70. So I did not then go and contact all my friends and say, look, you'll never guess what, I owe £34.70. No, I told them the whole story, the highs and lows. That day, I was ecstatic. I was so relieved because for a moment, I believed that I owed this tremendous debt. I felt so free. And obviously, the forgiveness of God is not some administrative error. We'll, we'll stop the parallels there. But the point of this is, I wonder if we believe um, that our debt has really been cleared. And if we do, is this the story that our lives are telling? 
Let's look again at the parable. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 28. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Let's pause here. Some translations will say 10,000 talents. So a talent is a sum of money, right? It's a single, so a single talent is worth about 20 years of a day labourer's wages. So 10,000 times 20 years worth of wages. Listen to the servant's response. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay you back everything. So it's easy to miss this, but Jesus is actually being funny here. This is supposed to be humorous. There's no way this person will ever be able to pay back this unfathomable debt. It's literally like somebody in a really low paying job saying that they would be able to pay back a bazillion pounds. Like it's just not feasible. Unless you've Jeff Bezos on the line, like there's no way you're paying that debt off. But this servant had been forgiven a debt that he would never be able to pay off, but he was unable to do the same for his fellow servant who only owed him, if we work it out, what would be about the equivalent of three months wages. The most famous phrase associated with forgiveness is I can forgive, but I can't forget. But I think that the real problem is actually forgetting how forgiven we are. For this unmerciful servant, the story wasn't about how much he was forgiven. It was about how much he was owed. And I wonder what stories I'm telling myself. I wonder what stories we're telling ourselves. Which story are we focusing on and magnifying? If we live in the story that we are owed much, that life is unfair, that we are first and foremost victims, we not only damage our relationships and interactions with others, but we literally, as God's word says, cut ourselves off from God's forgiveness. And the story that God has for our lives is that we are forgiven, we are worth a high price, we are victorious, and we're free. And lastly, and briefly, forgiveness is in every moment. Now I've said this, I realise it sounds like a really cheesy perfume advert. <laughs> forgiveness for every moment. <laughs> but as cheesy as it sounds, um, it's true. And I've heard forgiveness being compared to breathing. Um, quite simply, because we breathe in God's forgiveness and it's only by doing that that we're able to forgive others. It's probably a really bad illustration to use in the era of the face mask. But the point is, one stops us from doing the other and one makes the other one possible. Only by breathing in God's forgiveness are we able to um, forgive others. And if we're not giving out that forgiveness, then we're unable to receive the forgiveness that God has for us. When Jesus says 77 times, this could totally be 77 different occasions. But more often than not, it's probably the same thing. Probably the same thing that we need to forgive 77 times. We think we've forgiven, some, we think we've forgiven somebody and then we'll be reminded of something or we'll see something or something will be stirred inside us 
and we're confronted with pain and hurt and anger or even shame. And the worst thing that we can do in this situation is pan it off or brush it under the carpet and think, oh, I'm not doing this following Jesus thing properly because I'm unable to forgive them. No, Jesus is relentless in his pursuit of forgiving us, so we should do likewise. Ronald Rolheiser writes this. Any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will transmit. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness and hatred, we must be like water purifiers, holding the poisons and toxins inside of us and giving back only the pure water. What we do not transform, we transmit. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at transforming things by myself. And I know that Jesus is constantly seeking to make all things new. In 2005, Anthony Walker, a black British student who was just 18 years old, was murdered in an unprovoked and racially motivated attack. And in the aftermath, the news reported, because of their Christian faith, Anthony's family were able to forgive his killers. And his sister, Dominique, said this. 70 times seven, we must forgive. That's what we were taught. That's what the Bible said. That's what we have to do. It's an everyday thing. It's hard. It's so hard, but you get through it. It eases the bitterness and anger if you can wake up in the morning and think, forgive, forgive, forgive. What an example of forgiveness. What a challenging example of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that we bring out on special occasions. It's not like a special tea set. It's not like a spring clean. It's something that we need to do in every moment. Giving and receiving forgiveness is for every day and it's a way of living. Preparing this, I was really challenged by a thought. What would my life look like if my first thought every morning was not what I was owed or not what was going wrong or what, what, not what I could be worried about, not what I could gain, but I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And how much better would my ability to forgive others be because of it.